Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Paul Grimmond on dating and navigating the space between singleness and marriage. But it seems to me that um, because of the way that our world uses the word dating, um, we want to be particularly and kind of peculiarly Christian, I guess, about the way that we do it. Paul Grimmond next. The Bible clearly commends marriage, but it offers little guidance on getting there. The most common process our culture calls dating, and today Dr. Paul Grimmond will attempt to apply biblical principles to it. He's author of Water for My Camels, navigating the space between singleness and marriage when the Bible doesn't talk about dating. He's Dean of Students at Moore Theological College in Sydney, Australia. Paul, why is this a needed book? Uh, in my context, I've worked with university students for about 16, 17 years before I came to work at the college here. Um, and I've, so I've watched lots of young men and women uh, who want to honour Jesus and live for him, uh, try and navigate this space of how do you get to know each other and maybe think about marriage and those other things, um, but do it in a way that's kind of Christian, I guess, that reflects the fact that um, you know Jesus, who's the king of all, and you know that you've been saved and loved, and realising that what we as Christians believe is radically different from what most of the world is living out. So watching my children go through high school and university, um, being keenly aware of the fact that what we believe as Christians is radically different. And I think it creates a, a, a way of doing things that's radically different from the world around us. Does the Bible really even talk about dating? Well, it's really interesting, isn't it? If you look at the kind of slightly weird ways that people find wives through the Old Testament, um, there's all sorts of <laughs> kind of patterns like parents do it for their children, uh, you know, people, um, there's even one weird story in Judges where they hide in the wheat fields and kind of grab women as they come out to kind of do the harvesting and whatever. Um, and you kind of read through that and you realise that none of them, are, they're not written to kind of tell us what to do about dating or how to find a spouse. They're written about a specific person in a specific time and a specific place. But when you think about what the Bible says, it, it, it has no, I can't find any particular verse that says this is how you date or this is how you find a spouse. So we, we have to look for the biblical principles that apply, obviously. Well, so definitionally, and I know you do this early on in your book, what is dating? I mean, this is, it's, it's a million dollar question at one level. I think you can kind of take it to mean what you want it to mean. I remember reading one story about uh, a guy talking about the, his grandmother and apparently in the place that she grew up, um, boys and girls just went out for coffee occasionally. Um, randomly, you could do it with a different person each week, and that was kind of what was known as the the dating scene in their part of the world. Mm. Um, I, I think for us as Christians, because of what we believe about the preciousness of marriage and the significance of the way that we engage with sex and other stuff like that, um, I've kind of defined dating in the book as kind of a point, a place where you've made some sort of exclusive commitment to each other to work towards thinking about whether marriage is part of your future or not. I think that that would be kind of a healthy, helpful definition, I think. Okay, so dating, uh, you make this point uh, that, that it's not an end in itself. Are you always thinking about marriage when you, when you first date, when you go out for that first cup of coffee? I mean, I guess maybe on one level, maybe you are. I guess I would want to say that because of, um, because of everything that's involved relationally and interpersonally and all of that kind of stuff, um, and because of the, the context that it happens for most of us, I think in the Western world anyway, 
um, when you're going out for coffee with someone or whatever, you're kind of signalling something about this is important and real. I would have thought if you have no no prospect of marriage, you're not even interested, that's not something you're thinking about in the future, um, I would say that you you probably, I would encourage you not to just kind of go out randomly and have coffee with people of the single people of the opposite sex. That would be my encouragement. But as you said, you believe that dating involves some level of commitment. What, what does that look like? I mean, how do you, maybe I'm jumping ahead too fast, but you, you, you bring up these three letters, DTR, define the relationship. I mean, how soon should you be doing that? I don't know how local or universal that term is. That's certainly a term that lots of young people use here in Australia. Yeah. Basically, what I encourage people in the book is if you if you start to experience some attraction towards someone, you think that there's possibly something going on, um, rather than kind of asking a friend to ask a friend of a friend to find out whether there's anything <laughs> happening there or not, or you do that weird kind of back channel thing that people do, I'm just encouraging people to kind of, if, if there's genuine interest and you've sensed some sort of reciprocation, sit down and kind of say, look, I'm, I'm interested, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about that, let's have a real conversation about whether we should be in a more committed relationship and some of what that might look like for both of us. Um, I don't think that has to be a super intense conversation, although I understand that <laughs> for lots of people there's a bit that feels like it's riding on it at that point in time. But I think it's worth sitting down and saying, well, what do we think? Where are we both kind of heading? Do we want to hang out a bit and get to know each other a bit and ask some questions about whether this could go further? Well, the book is Water for My Camels, Navigating the Space Between Singleness and Marriage. When the Bible doesn't talk about dating, my guest is the author, Dr. Paul Grimmond. He is Dean of Students at Moore Theological College in Sydney, Australia. And, of course, he's talking to us from there. So, so Paul, what does it mean, uh, and I, I know this is a big question and it's woven throughout your book, but to apply biblical wisdom to this thing that, you've, that we're talking about, this thing called dating? Yeah, um, I mean... As I sat down to think about that question, I think that I, I'm trying to reflect, um, because the Bible doesn't have particular conventions or commandments for us about how you go about finding a spouse or whatever, um, but the Bible is very clear about the significance of marriage and who we are as people and what we're designed for and that kind of thing, um, we're left in a space where you could say, okay, well, marriage is the end goal and you just go and do whatever you like uh, in the space between there and here. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems to me that um, because of the way that our world uses the word dating, um, we want to be particularly and kind of peculiarly Christian, I guess, about the way that we do it. Um, so for me, I think uh, lots of what's at stake is that I think that marriage is a really big thing in the scriptures, uh, a significant and important and sacred institution, I think I would call it. Um, and it's a reflection of God's goodness towards us. So you know that there's that beautiful image in Ephesians 5 of Christ and the church, which is what the scriptures say is really what marriage is all about in the end. And that God's chosen to weave into this created order, into our relationships, this kind of space where as a man and a woman make promises to each other and are joined together, there's some kind of reflection of the goodness of what God's done for us in Christ as his church and where we're going together as that kind of group of people. And so I want to say that for Christians, um, particularly that space is a, is a precious and intimate space. The Bible talks very strongly about the fact that it's the appropriate place for the expression of sexual affection and the drives and desires that God's rightly and wisely given us as created people. Um, and so we want to work out how to protect those things, use those things healthily and well, 
in the space where we're getting to know one another, but before we've actually gotten to the point of being joined together as man and wife. And so the book's really reflecting on what might it look like to do that getting to know each other and to ask wise questions about that move towards marriage. And you write uh, in your book, Water for My Camels, that few areas of life will we notice the differences between Christians and non-Christians as much as how we approach the whole area of dating. The contrast there is so uh, so sharp, so stark, and, and, and you've touched on uh, some of it already, certainly, but can you kind of draw that contrast for us, and perhaps it might surprise some people that, that there is this much difference? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mean, part of what it made me do is just kind of sit and watch the world for a while, think about those, you know, the rom-coms, the sitcoms, the the way that relationships and stuff are portrayed in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I think very strongly in, in our media, um, I, I think there are a few big themes that keep coming through. I, I think there's this weird thing that I think we tend to treat sex a bit like an appetite in the broader world. So, if you're hungry, go and get something to eat. If you're feeling sexually aroused, go and do something about it. There's, so there's that kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no, uh, there's no thought, uh, at least in the way that the world often engages with it, about the importance of it or the. Although I want to say that the world's kind of weird and has a bet each way at this point, <laughs> mm-hmm. because very interestingly, at the point that you do enter into a serious relationship or you get married, uh, even non-Christians are quite. Uh, would be quite disturbed if their partner goes off and has uh, a sexual relationship with someone else. Yeah. Um, so they're still, they are still aware of the creative nature and significance of it. Um, but certainly before marriage, uh, if I look at any of the sitcoms, rom-coms, et cetera, et cetera, it seems to me that in the world's eyes, dating and sex basically go together. They're kind of almost equated. And if you're dating someone, of course, you'd have sex with them and vice versa. So I think that's a really big thing. Um, uh, I also think that just the world, I mean, here in Australia a couple of years ago now, we had a referendum around recognising same-sex marriage at a public legal level. Um, And I know that that's been going on in different parts of the world for the last kind of 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. I think most people that are our neighbours basically think that marriage was something that people made up and we can define it to be whatever we like it to be. Um, And I just want to say that as people who know the God who made the world and who made actually marriage a reflection of Christ in the church, we know that it's not something that we just get to define or do what we like with, but it's something that's precious to God and that he's given us wise and good commands about and and gives us a picture of the richness and goodness of relationship that comes out of it. So I, I do think that what we believe as Christians is quite radically different from the world around about us. And, and I think that there are some other currents that feed into that as well. I think the kind of radical consumerism and individualism mm. of the world in which we live um, uh, is kind of typified, I think, in the world of pornography, actually, and the fact that sex is an appetite that I meet in a totally impersonal and unrelational way. Um, you know, I, I had three kids go through high school, and particularly for my sons, although also for my daughter, um, the attitude towards sex and pornography and stuff uh, in the school playground, particularly in high school here, um, pornography is passed around. That's what kids do with one another. So there's just this thing that sex is not necessarily particularly special. It's not necessarily particularly relational. You can do it anytime, anywhere. And I just think there's a, I, I actually, my reflection is that there's just a deep sadness about that. I think it's interesting when you look at some of the, the biology and whatever, the chemicals that are released in sexual experience 
are actually designed to bond people together. Mm-hmm. They create a sense of loyalty and connection and stuff. And so you actually see that the way that God's created sex and the world is that it's an act that goes together with the promissory nature of the relationship that happens in marriage that bonds people together and creates connection. And I think we we live in a world that treats that cheaply um, and to our detriment, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you, you suggest uh, for for people who are just beginning to date or are just about to, that there's one key question that they should ask. If our ultimate goal is to love and honor Jesus as our king, um, then one of the questions that we ask as we move into a relationship is, is this going to help not just me, but is this also going to help the other person um, to love and to honor Jesus? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that that's part of the rich goodness of being Christian, isn't it? That the that Jesus calls us outside of ourselves. Our concern is not just for me, but it's for the people who are out there. And so as I enter into a relationship, my desire is not just for my good, but for the good of the person that I'm going to be in relationship with. I want them to grow in their love and service of Jesus as a result of this, as well as me. There's numerous, uh, and they're not exactly bullet points, but they're, they're biblical principles that you lift out, and people may or may not be aware of them, and I've just asked you a few of them. Uh, one is that uh, marriage, or you should only date believers. And why is that? I mean, in other words, I've heard people say, well, um, this person's not a Christian yet, but I've heard uh, over here the this this person led their the person they were dating to Christ, or this happened to you know to my parents or whatever. Um, wondering what you would say. I think the Bible's quite clear. Um, again, there's not a lot of information here, but at the end of one Corinthians chapter seven, when Paul is talking to widows, he says, um, "You're free to remarry, only remarry in the Lord." So he's quite specific that if uh, a, a Christian widow. Um, has lost their spouse, if they remarry, they're to remarry somebody who's Christian. And actually that just makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you want to do life together, potentially raise children together, serve the Lord together, uh, it's you just cannot do that with someone who doesn't name Christ as their Lord and Saviour. So um, I want to say to people, um, if marriage is kind of the end goal of dating and if you should only marry somebody who's a Christian, I would say don't start dating someone who's not a Christian, actually. I just don't think that that's very helpful. Yeah. Uh, there's many questions here, and some of the, the, the sort of the nuts and bolts questions, uh, who should you date? I think you've, you've, you've covered that. At least it should, be a, it should be another believer. Is there anything else you would add to that? Well, I know that it's not politically correct to say so, but I think it should be someone of the opposite sex. I think the Bible's very clear about that. Uh, and the Bible says that it's someone who shouldn't be a close relative, I'm pretty sure they're the kind of, if you're going to look for biblical injunctions, I think that's right. Yeah. But I think I, I, uh, I, what I explore a little bit in the book is what does it mean that they're a Christian? Like, I think if marriage is a promise to spend the rest of your life with this person, um, the fact that you find them, you know, attractive or funny or, or whatever else it is that's kind of, that's not quite enough to kind of do the rest of life with. Because, <laughs> oh, wow. you know, stuff happens. Um, and so... Uh, but I, what I do think then is when you're asking the question, are they Christian? It's not so much just, you know, do they do they tick a box somewhere? But are they someone who's displaying a commitment to Christ? So do you see them loving other people? Do you mm-hmm. see them sacrificing themselves? Do you see them being generous with their possessions? Do you see them praying? Do you see them trying to put into practice what they hear from the sermon at church each week? It's watching them in relationships with the people around about them and seeing what kind of person they are um, because you, you want to marry someone who's actually committed to honouring Christ and therefore who will love you well, I think. 
Well, it's interesting you point this out in your book that uh, you suggest uh, dating in community rather than yeah. uh, absent. And that you kind of just explain that. You, you can see how they interact with other people. Yeah, I mean, I just uh, one of the things that I've realised. I think our world's dating picture—it's—it's it's totally exclusive, right? You kind of go off in your little space and you do your own thing, and and you make your own decisions and whatever. Um, but it seems to me that God's blessed us with a community of God's people, and if you've been blessed with Christian family, that's also a, a rich blessing. And even if your family aren't Christian, for lots of people, their parents and whatever love them and know them and whatever. Um, and I presume that if I'm going to marry someone, they're actually becoming part of this extended family. They're becoming part of my church and friend community and whatever. Um, and so rather than just going off and doing lots of stuff by ourselves, I actually think one of the lovely things that can happen in dating is that you invite people into your lives and become part of other people's lives. And that gives you real insight into who that person is as a person and how they live and honor and serve Jesus in the day-to-day stuff of life. Well, what about parental involvement? I mean, you, of course, you think when the, when the people are younger, but uh, if, if, assuming one or both parents are still alive, I mean, you said, well, maybe they're believers, maybe they're not, but uh, w- what is the role of, uh, of the parents? Yeah, I mean, um, I do think it changes radically from being kind of, you know, mid-teenager to kind of being mid-20s. Obviously, there's a big shift that happens there. Um, and I do want to encourage, like I would encourage parents to be hands-on. Uh, my wife was absolutely fantastic at this and helped me to do it better. Um, but she she was talking with the kids even from kind of um, primary school here, which mm. is kind of eight, nine, ten-year-olds about, you know, the importance of knowing someone who loves Jesus and, you know, this isn't where we're at yet, but this is what happens in the world and kind of putting conversations about um, at an age-appropriate level about sex and relationships and stuff on the table, training them to think about these things. But we encouraged all of our kids to think about not dating till they got to the end of school. Um, Not that all of them obeyed us exactly on that note, but they did when they chose that they wanted to date someone, come and talk to us about it. Um, And that was really important because it allowed us to have some of those conversations about how will you respect that person Um, what's it going to look like for you to be healthy in your relationship with each other? What does it look like to have Jesus as part of that? Um, But I think even like if if you're kind of into your 20s or 30s, um, your parents often are people who know you, who know and love you. Um, If they're still part of your life and whatever, um, I actually think it's precious to ask, well, what do you think? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You've seen us together. What do you think about them? What are you noticing about the way that we do relationship? Because you know, the old saying, love is blind, um, there, there, there is that weird thing. Um, psychologists call it limerence, actually. There's a there's chemical changes that happen in your body in the early stages of day, dating that the sun's brighter, the birds sing more sweetly, everything's <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> um, but somehow or another, you've got to get beyond that if you're going to make healthy decisions about character and people and making a life commitment, I think. Well, I guess a lot of these are the so-called $64,000 question, but where do you meet uh, somebody to date? How proactive should you be? Of course, I'm thinking of uh, the, the dating sites, you know, Christian Mingle or eHarmony.com, or you, you just focus on, you know, people that you know in church or what. I mean, that's kind of the uh, conundrum uh, of so many people. 
Yeah, I think that is a real conundrum. I mean, I would really encourage people to start uh, in church and, and in broader Christian community. I mean, I guess that that depends very much on where you live. I know that in a small rural location, that's going to look very different to being in kind of urban place where you may be a part of a church, but you're also part of a network that happens through your college or, you know, university school, that kind of stuff. So I think in the scriptures that arranged marriage is a thing. Uh, and so I actually think asking friends and family, do you know people who you think would be appropriate? I actually don't think that that's a bad question necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I think all of those options. I'm not entirely opposed to the online thing as a space for perhaps meeting someone. Um, but I would, because I think there's actually something quite lovely often in communication there about like, well, as you write, you kind of share things differently from just if you're person to person Mm -hmm. and that can be a way of getting to know someone quite well Um, i would say that thinking about what your convictions and beliefs are the kind of person that you want to get to know and who you want to be and how you want to conduct yourself in that space um, that will actually signal that you love christ and are living for him they're important questions to clarify in your own head before you enter into that space i think In your book, you uh, say that we need to be aware of the cultural context of dating. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, haven't we, already? But I think um, uh, being aware, for example, of our individualism and our consumeristic tendencies Mm -hmm. and trying to take on other person-centeredness, I think being aware that we're part of a world that honestly I don't think believes that marriage is permanent, Um, whereas if we believe marriage is permanent, that means that the stakes are higher in some ways. This is a more serious and significant thing that we're doing. So mm-hmm. because God really treasures our sexual purity and treating each other with grace and dignity, um, how we conduct ourselves with each other really matters. Um, and so I think particularly things like, even weirdly, things like the motor car and your capacity to be alone in the dark uh, in a random place out of the way, that kind of thing, I think has changed radically in 100 years. Um, but more recently, I do think that the smartphone thing, and I talk quite a bit about this in the book, but the smartphone thing just changes everything. And one of the things I do want to say is be thoughtful about what it does. Um, so I tell this little story in the book. When, when, I, was, um, when I was a teenager starting to date, um, there was one telephone in our house that was on the wall in our kitchen and it was actually the handset was connected by a cord that was a spirally thing that allowed you to move about a metre and a half away from the thing that was on the wall, which means that if I wanted to talk to to the person that I was dating, um, that was a conversation that was happening in the middle of my house with the rest of my family getting public. stuff out of the fridge, yeah. moving in. <laughs> so there was actually, there was a kind of public context to that, which mm. was actually healthy and helpful as a young person, I think. Um, and, and when I rang my girlfriend, um, often her mum or dad would answer the phone and I had to say hello and have a conversation with them before I got to talk to her, um, all of that kind of stuff. Um, those things are really helpful reminders that it's not just the two of you, but you're part of families and relationships in a broader world. But the smartphone means that you can talk to each other and just each other from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment that you go to bed at night. And you can almost be just connected in a way that was just it was literally impossible when i was dating like we you just couldn't do what you can now do um but i think that that drives intimacy and interdependence it it just heats it up and grows the intensity and makes it all happen much more quickly um whereas 
healthy relationships are both about being able to be a, a real person who has their own beliefs and ideas and working out how to do that in connection with somebody else. So particularly, I'd encourage people to create some rules or have some boundaries around your smartphone use. Maybe have, uh, I say in the book, maybe have a Sabbath from smart, you know, we're not going to talk to each other for a day a week or maybe two days a week or we're not going to talk to each other before midday or, you know, mm-hmm. find ways of having space that helps you to live your life independently as well as being connected together rather than just letting, because, you know, all of the hormones and the drive and the excitement drives you to be connected to each other. We've just created technologies that allow that to happen even more intensely and deeply than we ever could at any other time in history. That is so true. How can a person know if this is, if marriage is on the horizon? Absolutely. I mean, um, (laughs) uh, couples in my context will tell you the thing that I ask them is, have you had a decent fight yet? And what I mean is not kind of screaming and shouting and throwing things at each other. (laughs) I hope that, you know, by God's grace as believers, we don't get to that point. But I do want to say, have you got to the point where you realize that there are some things that you genuinely disagree with each other about? And have you started, which is a sign that you passed that kind of everything's just great and they're all fantastic stage. And you've also started to see how you and they interact with each other when things get a bit more complex, when communication gets more difficult where you have to navigate a space where you have to understand that maybe you think differently to each other and that's going to require some compromise or some creative solutions. I think those kinds of things are really important points to get to in terms of making that decision. Um, But I think the other thing to say, it depends a little bit on your background. I know particularly from talking to young people whose parents have been divorced well, they've come from a background where that's kind of part of their world. Mm-hmm. Um, often their stress and anxiety around getting married at its permanence means that they want every single box to be ticked and everything to be absolutely right. So I think being comfortable with the fact that there are going to be some things that are going to annoy you and that you're going to disagree with about the other person, um, those things aren't necessarily deal breakers. Um, so there's that there's this weird tension coming from two different angles there, I think. Yeah. Well, the book is Water for My Camels, Navigating the Space Between Singleness and Marriage when the Bible doesn't talk about dating. Any other thoughts or encouragement for doing just what your subtitle says, navigating that space between singleness and marriage? Well, yeah, yeah, I think the last thing I'd say, like what the line I use in the book is you should date like you marriage is your future, and you should date like marriage isn't. <laughs> that is um well, marriage is the future, it might not be to this person. There's no guarantee in the dating process that for lots of different reasons, which may be your own situation, their life situation, what happens to you because of your personalities in the way that you relate to each other, whatever, there are lots of reasons that maybe a relationship um, should actually end with breaking up rather than kind of heading into marriage. Um, and I think in all of that, it's knowing that the Lord in his graciousness will provide for my good at the moments and when and how I need him to. Um, Therefore, being able to um, have that kind of resilience and dependence on Christ that comes um, through the ups and downs of this process and perhaps some of the pain and discomfort that comes as well, um, knowing that in all of that, God's gracious and kind and with me uh, and good and wants my good in it. Um, I just think that's a really precious thing to keep in mind. 
You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Paul Grimmond, author of the book, Water for My Camels, navigating the space between singleness and marriage when the Bible doesn't talk about dating. He's Dean of Students at Moore Theological College in Sydney, Australia. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's John Still on the history, mission, and influence of contemporary Christian music magazine. We always tried to tell the truth as best we could determine it. We were not an advocacy publication. We weren't here just to promote Christian music. What we were advocating about was getting the gospel out there better and having the gospel be relevant to modern culture. That's tomorrow at this same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.